Okay, thank you everybody um, for coming um, today and a big welcome to Kellogg College. Um, Kellogg is the youngest college in Oxford. It was founded uh, 25 years ago this year in 1990, which makes it a real toddler uh, in Oxford terms. Um, but it's also the largest college. Uh, it's got 800 students in all and it's quite innovative. So the big uh, innovation of Kellogg College was to allow uh, part-time students to study uh, at Oxford, um, which wasn't possible until, until the founding of the college. Uh, we only moved into this building in 2009, uh, but there's a lot of development activity going on now uh, to uh, build and improve more buildings for the college. So do have a look around. Feel free to go and have a look at the garden and um, make the most of the weather during the coffee break. Uh, so the TACOD project. Uh, I wanted to thank uh, Lorenzo um, and the rest of the team. Um, it's been a great fun project to work on. Uh, and you know, when Lorenzo called and said that he was putting together this project proposal, I hadn't really given much thought to open data, um, I must admit. Um, but it's been fascinating, actually, to explore what's going on in this area. Uh, the aim of the project was to understand whether open data is a useful tool for tackling corruption. Uh, the specification was to look at four countries, uh, the UK, Austria, Italy and Spain, uh, and we'll be able to present results, um, an overview of results today, although unfortunately uh, we don't have the results from Spain as our, our speaker from Spain is on paternity leave. Um, a, a very good reason for not being here. Um, and the themes that the project looked at were four. So we looked at, firstly, the legal framework uh, for open data in all of these countries. Uh, secondly, at how that legal framework actually works in practice, implementation. <laughs> Uh, thirdly, at the public opinion about open data and who are the users and what do they think about open data. And finally, at the impact, trying to establish whether we could tell whether open data was having an impact on corruption. I think this is a fascinating project partly because it's situated in a wider framework of trying to understand whether transparency is actually useful for reducing corruption. Uh, and that's something that you know, has, the fact that transparency is helpful as an anti-corruption tool, has emerged as a consensus and an international norm um, in the last 25 years, largely down to the work of TI. Um, there's a clear logic to understanding why that would be the case, but actually there hasn't been that much research to understand what the mechanisms are. Uh, and how exactly it might be that transparency translates into reduced corruption. <coughs> so when we started to think about this project, we thought, well, we need to understand more about this mechanism in the case of open data and how it might reduce corruption. And we thought that it might work in, in two ways broadly. First of all, that it would help to increase detection of corruption. So there's a certain amount of corruption that's going on, and what open data means is that you can see that. You can spot the irregularities. You can spot suspicious conduct and behavior. 
Um, so that's actually helping us to detect what's already going on in terms of corruption. But then the other part of transparency and of open data is that because of that threat, you might also deter people from engaging in corruption in the first place. So we expected that if open data is going to work to reduce corruption, it would work through these two different mechanisms. Now, the problem is that that's difficult then for researchers to measure the effect. Um, because if you think about it, they would potentially lead to different outcomes in terms of how we measure corruption. So if you increase the detection of cases, uh, you start to detect 75% of the corruption instead of 5%, uh, then you would, what that would show up as is an increase in the corruption cases that are revealed. It might look as if actually there's more corruption. But if you think about the second mechanism in terms of deterring corruption, what you would expect to find there is that there's a reduction in the amount of cases coming to light because there's hopefully less corruption going on in the first place. So our big problem or dilemma was how on earth are we going to be able to measure the impact? And I still think that's a, a serious and difficult problem for researching corruption. But actually, it's maybe an old-fashioned problem or an increasingly old-fashioned problem because of open data itself. And I think one of the really useful things about open data is actually something that we didn't think about necessarily in those, um, that fir those first conversations. Um, not so much just about the detection and the deterrence, but actually in developing new ways of measuring corruption. Uh, so the potential for open data to help us detect, to develop new tools for measuring corruption that replace those first-generation indicators that relied on perceptions and surveys, which we all, you know, it was much better than nothing, but we all started to say, actually, this is not getting to the whole story, and there were some potential flaws with these. So I think one of the exciting things about the open data movement is the chance to develop those new measurement tools. Um, we've seen some tools developed already, looking uh, using public procurement data, um, the indicators um, of corruption risk in public procurement, which have been developed by Fuzzitash and colleagues. Um, we've seen quite a lot of other tools under development in the course of our research by civil society actors, uh, innovative research teams. Um, so there's the promise of having much more finely tuned ways of assessing corruption levels. The open data movement, like Kellogg College, is very young. Uh, and I think in many of the countries that we've researched, that sort of youth shows. Um, in that the systems are not really in place to fully exploit the potential of open data to measure and reduce corruption yet. Uh, in terms of legal framework, there's a lot of innovation, but also a lot of gaps. In terms of practice, uh, ambitious commitments are not always translated into implementation. In terms of opinion, again, there's a lot of exciting work uh, going on in terms of uh, data intermediaries, uh, but not necessarily a huge awareness among the public or interest in using those tools. 
Uh, and in terms of impact, uh, we are getting, I think, some evidence that open data is being used to reveal corruption cases. Uh, but often it's sort of informal disclosure rather than the formal disclosure that's really driving that. It's more leaks rather than official disclosure. So this open data project, I think, is, you know, our project is coming to an end, but actually the, the bigger open data project is really only just starting out. Um, it has achieved quite a lot in a short time, and it's a really dynamic environment. Um, another interesting thing I found about it is how there are lots of different stakeholders involved in this. Um, so a lot of civil society actors, um, but also government departments, um, and also law enforcement. Uh, and actually one of the findings that the Italian team had, which I find fascinating is that actually initially the law enforcement agencies are very pleased about open data because it allows them to get data which they couldn't otherwise get without revealing the fact that they were investigating a certain area. Uh, so I think some unforeseen sort of benefits um, for all different sorts of stakeholders. So this morning we'll present these results um, in two sessions. Um, the first one will we'll concentrate mainly on the, um, the law, practice and opinion parts and the second one a bit more on the impact. Um, and then this afternoon we'll have a panel of mainly practitioners um, and some academics and external experts to give their views on really what's the future of open data. Where is all this going? Um, I'm going to try to be a fairly rigorous timekeeper because I think the real benefit of these uh, occasions is often in the discussion and the questions and answers. Um, so we will try our best to stick to that. Um, and in particular, the lunch break is fairly short at only 45 minutes. Um, but uh, hopefully we can then get back in for the panel session in the afternoon. So I would like to introduce uh, our first speaker, uh, who is our very own Nikos Theodorakis. Um, Nikos has been working on a lot of the research for the law practice and opinion parts in the UK. Uh, and uh, he's going to present those results um, first of all. Um, Nikos's PhD is from Cambridge. Uh, but he's also been working at Harvard Law School and Columbia Law School uh, on various projects and has a uh, history of looking at these uh, issues of, of openness. 